Hi, so this pertains to the uh, comment about news and children. Um, <clears throat> I don't own a TV in my home because I don't want my kids to be on, on the receiving end of how the news is delivered these days. Um, they do have iPads, so they aren't you know, completely cut off from it. Um, but what I try to do is explain to them whatever the horrific thing is that happened in the news. I do expose them to that. Um, you know, they always have questions, and I try my best to give them answers. Um, when when Tamir Rice was murdered in 2014, um, you know, now my kids are 11 and 9, but they were younger then. Um, I, I couldn't explain to them why this happened. Um, instead, I broke down, and I cried. And they broke down, and they cried, and we cried for Tamir. Um, but this is necessary. This is necessary for children of color today. They have to see this and they have to know how they should react um, if they're involved in a situation like this. Um, but what I try to do is, after the bad news is delivered, I make sure to read to them or explain to them three good things in the world that happened right after we d discuss anything that's, that's bad. Um, because finding out, you know, whatever is dreadful in the world is easy. Um, it's easy. It's too easy. Um, but finding what is beautiful uh, takes discipline. It takes a lot of discipline. And I'm cultivating that not only for them, but for myself too. Um, because I need that discipline as well. Um, I, I like this topic and you guys should continue doing uh, a great job. Thanks. Hey everyone. Uh, so my sister p published a book. Um, a book of haikus. She is a haiku guru. She's also uh, part of a band. The band is called the band called Fuse. Um, they're a dope soul rock um, band that I support. Uh, her name is Desiree Millwood and she published poems for my namesake. So I'm just gonna read you a couple of her haikus. No one has ever loved me without being close enough to hate me. And after giving everything, you'd laugh and say, it wasn't enough. Showed you my hands, said, I have no tricks, and hid my heart behind my back. You cannot wear pain like a badge of honor and expect sympathy. I love, I love her. I love her mind. I love her heart. She's a good woman. She's a goddess. Um, and her book has helped me too, and continues to help me. Um, so you should, you should get it. It's called Poems for My Namesake. You can get it on Amazon. Okay. Good night, everyone. Peace, everyone. So I'm going to read a poem from another goddess poet that I know. Her name is Ramya Ramana, and she's, she was the New York City Youth Poet Laureate. And her book is called Don't Drown Her in the Baptism. And the poem I'm going to read is called You Are Worthy of the War. If I fall in the field during the battle, don't mourn me. Pick up my rifle. If I fall, if God makes me a frontline soldier, let the sand swallow my carcass, let the waves wash away my flesh, let me become seaweed to the ocean, but promise me you will not give up. Promise me you will crunch your fist and smile like you swallowed a million dynamites. Show them how many volcanoes failed trying to erupt you, how your body refused the lava's choke, how it bit the devil's throat, how when you were given paradise, you said no. You chose instead to hug the fire, to befriend the waterfalls, show the world how you hold the Bible like a finger. If I fall during the battle, don't mourn the laughs we shared, or the time we made pinky promises at the beach, or in my dorm room. My dear, let your knees unbuckle in the storm, fight the tide, the capitalists, the doors trying to close, colored girls smile, all of it. And if ever you feel alone, if ever the mountains fail to make you feel like a forest of ancient lullabies, know that there is an army in heaven roaring your name, telling you, you are worthy of the war.
yeah, the way, the way she bends words, I wish I could do that. Um, you should get her book. It's called Don't Drown Her in the Baptism by Ramya Ramana. All right, that's it. Okay, so this is one more poem from Ramya Ramana from her book, Don't Drown Her in the Baptism. It's called, A Woman Loves a Man 25 Hours of a Day. A woman loves a man 25 hours of a day. She learns how to make herself a capsule of all his routines. She learns how to breed herself into pine tree doormat with her back. A coliseum signaling to every room inside itself of his desires when needed. A woman has been taught to never ask a man for love back. But a woman always needs love back. Watch her. The way she is a jar of giving. Remind her she has a cap and a right to unfriend the green light that pays a foreclosure sign in the front yard of her voice. Remind her she isn't created to live with a broken chest or as a playground of steering laughter sinking away into a jigsaw-puzzled night. Remind her she is not an outstretched limb nibbling on the crumbs of isolation, not an exploitation of a vandalized happiness. A woman always needs love. Love like this has crunched the furrow bridge. How can you pray when your sacrifice is living right next to you? And then at the end she has, um, or at the beginning rather, she has um, a poem by Hafiz that says, Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, You owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. And lights the whole sky. I love poetry. I really do. This is a book that I've come back to a couple times. It's called The Music Lesson by Victor L. Wooten. And there's just a couple of sentences that sort of resonated with me. You search for answers the way you search for notes. Let go of the need to be in charge. Like the smoke, knowledge is in the air. All the knowledge that ever existed or ever will exist is here already. Most people play louder to get someone's attention, but getting quieter can stop a bull from charging. Peace, everyone. So I've been listening to everyone's stations, and I've been favoriting some stations, and... Everyone has such great intros and music, and I haven't really navigated this um, as much as I probably could um, to figure out how to do that properly, but um, I'm enjoying the conversation. I like the conversation. That's what matters to me the most. So, um, and my, you know, my podcast is Mala's Mirror because, you know, I think everything is reflection eternal, so that's the catchiest I'm gonna get but I just want to say I'm, I'm glad I'm I kind of need this station now I kind of need this app now um, I sounds weird but I, I kind of need this and um, I'm glad I found it and I'm interested to hear what y'all have to say about anything and everything um, so I appreciate you love and light okay so I'm gonna complain a little bit about um, how much I loathe meal prep because I do every five days I complain mostly to myself um, because I, I hate it I hate it with all of my heart I mean I love my children and I want them to get nutritious food and I want them to you know love cooking and all that you know but I'm tired and it's it's exhausting to you know to go to the store and buy all the crap and then bring the crap home and then clean it and then you know stand in front of the stove for a couple hours like it, it's this whole process is like a five hour process anybody gotta have five hours I don't have time I don't have time I don't have time for that but I have to make time for that and I have to schedule that into my life so that you know during the week it's not as crazy um, and I don't have much to do which I'm, I'm happy about but it's just that meal prep I dread. I dread that time of the week where I have to go to the grocery store and 
deal with all that and then come home and you know meal prep in front of the stove in the kitchen and you know we're West Indian so my kids they love roti they love curry chicken they love dal they love that takes a long time that takes too long it's too much food I if it was just me I would just eat cereal every day but you know I want to feed my children good food um so does anyone have meal prep complaints do you hate it as much as I hate it I'm sure you do I'm sure you do do you have any tips or tricks you'd like to share um besides ordering out because I know that trick okay love and light peace everyone this is I, I'm gonna try to do an intro this is Mala's mirror it just sounds so strange this is you can see it's Mala's mirror right it's it's written at the top okay um, it's Friday and I'm getting ready to do my goddamn meal prepping meal shopping for the meal prepping um, and I'm gonna try to hit up legendary ciphers which is um, a New York a New York staple in in hip-hop um, it started like four years ago by the student named Majesty who has since passed away passed away last year rest in peace Majesty and uh, it's just a great a great hip-hop community a great New York community um, and you can just you can go there it's from like 8 to midnight and they have you know MCs that have they just spit hot fire and they've been doing it for a while and there's some you know brand new people that come in and they just want to you know test their skills so and there are people that are passing by that just stop you know and they jump in the cypher or they have kids who want to come and dance or you know do whatever it's like it's very it's very community based um so i enjoy that because you know in this wretched world there's a lot to be um upset about and sad about so hip-hop is a big thing for me um it's part of who I am, and I love to support it, and I love to be a part of it. So I'm going to hit that up, but I have to get this damn shopping done. I hope everyone enjoys their weekend. And, you know, it's peaceful and fun and safe. And Okay, talk to everyone later. Bye. I found this poem thing. Not really a poem, just some words. Uh, it's a poem by Omid Safi. And it's just about, you know, the idea of being able to see each other. Um, and on Anchor, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of not possible, but um, with the exception of like, you know, a profile picture. But um, we kind of see each other through being present with each other and. Um, you know, responding to each other and um, going back and forth and and really um, taking the time to give each other a space to to be or to laugh or to, you know, grieve or whatever it is. So anyway, I saw this and I wanted to share it with all of you. Okay, so it's by Omid Safi. May we live like this. May we see each other for who we are. For what we are may we face each other seeing and being seen loving and being loved may we see all of each other may we see all of us may we be seen love and light hey everyone welcome to mala's mirror i think that's a better intro i think that was more natural welcome to mala's mirror Mirror. So I found something online that I see is going around and being reposted. I forgot the person's name. He's a Swami. He's an uh, Indian Swami. Um, I, I don't know his name. I'll put it in the description. Um, I see it, you know, being posted on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, and it's, it has to do with our expectations and what we want people to do or what we think people should do or the stories that play out in our heads and when it doesn't happen or the person doesn't respond the way we want them to respond we get mad, we get upset, we get whatever 
and that sort of kind of resonates with me now because I'm kind of going through you know something like that so I'm trying to um you know work my way through that and so words have always helped me and you know I have I, always been able to uh, read my way out of things so um this is helping me right now and um okay so this is this is what he says he says when you want to be served you're dependent on people they may not serve you but when you want to serve who can stop you when you want respect people may not respect you but when you want to give respect who can stop you when you want in charity people may not give you charity but when you want to give charity who can stop you when you want to be loved you may not be loved but when you want to give love who can stop you so i thought that was dope um that's all we can control you know that's all we can control what we can do um doesn't make it any less painful might i add and it still sucks because sometimes people equal shit right they do people just equal shit some days um but this helps us or helps me at least to kind of you know gain some perspective on on that right our darkness and our light okay bye peace everyone this is mala's mirror it's saturday night um i went to a birthday party for my aunt who turned 50 she's turning 50 tomorrow so she had to get together at the racetrack because she loves to gamble on horses and uh so she you know her contribution is, is teaching my children to gamble, <laughs> um, but they love her. She is my she's my son's godmother. Um, so we went there, had a good time with everyone, with the you know with the family, with the cool family, not the crazy family, because the crazy family I can't deal with. Um, and then we came home and I was exhausted. And I wanted to find a way to just center myself a little bit. Um, so I decided to read, and of course the children are with me. And when they're with me, I have three little faces looking at me. So I read to them. Um, and the book that I am reading, that I'm going to read to you now, because they're all sleeping, um, is called The Tao of Wu, the Riza, by the Riza. Um, and this book means too much to me and it came at exactly the time that I needed to come to me um, when I first got divorced and I left um, my ex-husband moved to Staten Island because my mother had a house there I took the children moved to Staten Island and I found this book and it just everything connected and it helped me to get to the next stage of what I was supposed to get ready for that I didn't know I had to get ready for um, so this is this is the you know couple of paragraphs of of the stuff that I had highlighted back then imagine you're eight years old going to the store with 35 cents to buy a pack of now and a bag of sunflower seeds you get there Three teenagers choke you with an umbrella and take your 35 cents and buy cigarettes. That's the projects. <clears throat> Math and economics class on every block. Imagine you live with 18 relatives in a two-bedroom apartment across the street from the courthouse and county jail. You wonder why the jail and courthouse are so close to the projects. When you get locked up there a few years later, you learn. You learn civics, government, law, and science every day, especially science. Because a project like jail is a science project. No one expects you to leave. I did leave. Moved out of Stapleton Projects at 23 in 1992. And not long after that, my brothers in the Wu-Tang Clan and I became citizens of the world. But those project lessons are still with all of us. And one of the foundations for wisdom. They're the darkness that lets us see light. In 1978, my mother, who worked in a numbers house, hit the number for about four Gs, enough money to move eight of us into a three-bedroom place on Dumont Avenue. 
This was in Marcus Garvey, a violent ghetto, but for a minute there, we felt like the white kids on the TV show Eight is Enough. Eight kids with toys, bikes, and a new home. But before we could move in, the place was robbed. All our stuff, toys, bikes, furniture, was gone, right before Christmas. We were heartbroken, but moved in anyway, and before long, I got to know our next-door neighbor, Chili Wop. Chili Wop was the coolest motherfucker you'd ever meet. He was a drug dealer with muscles, gold chains, mad style, and a crazy way of talking. What's up? For some reason, Chili Wop took a liking to me. He started taking me on trips. Drug runs, really. Although I didn't know it at the time, and began looking out for me. Chili Wop became an ally, a protector in a violent world. Finally, after I'd lived there for nearly two years, he told me something. When y'all first moved in, I robbed your house, man. I never knew you was going to be a cool family. When he told me, there wasn't much I could do about it, and by then he was like my best friend, or as they say in the hood nowadays, my big homie, so in a way it was cool. That's just one hood lesson. Your allies can arrive as enemies, blessings as a curse. I'm going to read the chapter after this in another segment, but um, this book is this book is dope if you're looking for a dope book. This is a dope book that you should have in your library. Love and Light. Okay, this is another chapter from The Tao of Wu by the Riza. It's called Island, A Parable of Solitude. And this chap this particular chapter I just I had the whole thing because it was it made it made so much sense to me. It was so in complete alignment with what I was going through at that point in my life. Okay, <clears throat> I spent my formative years on an island, Staten Island, which is a blessing I've taken with me through life. Many cultures consider an island to be the ideal home. First, because you're surrounded by water, which is life. Second, because you're isolated from the masses, which, masses, which allows you to find yourself, to develop inner strengths you couldn't find anywhere else. An island shows you the true nature of life itself. In Staten Island, Wu-Tang were set apart from all other influences and fads that were happening in the other four boroughs. I believe that while everything else in hip-hop culture was in constant flux, this island was nurturing something ancient. When you watch a movie like Godzilla, you see them go out to one of these tiny remote islands and find Mothra. It was the same way with us. A nine-man hip-hop group based on mathematics, chess, comics, and kung fu flicks wasn't springing up in the middle of a Manhattan art scene. Only on a remote island can something like King Kong grow to his full capacity. When I first bought a house out in New Jersey, I got it as a woo house, but the rest of the members couldn't stand being there. They wanted to be in the city. But for me, this remote house, this island, was the best place to be. It's a place to break off the antennas on top of buildings, to break away from those frequencies, to break away from everybody's hustle and negativity, a place to reconnect with your own strength. My Kung Fu teacher Sifu would come out to this house to train me. My uncle, who was also a martial arts martial artist, used to live and train there too. In fact, it was out there on this island that he developed a style he called the Universal African Fighting Style. Eventually, he ended up being inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame, all because he had developed something special, a combination of jiu-jitsu, karate, and samurai. My uncle was inducted by Moses Powell, the jiu-jitsu expert who founded the style known as Sanugus Ryu. Powell passed away recently, but he was one of the top black martial artists in the country. He trained CIA men, demonstrated for the United Nations, and taught warriors in many different fields. But when my uncle went to study with him, he told my uncle something important. He said, what you got is unique. He let him know that he was blessed, that he had it already within him. I advise everyone to find an island in this life. Find a place where this culture can't take your energy from you. Sap your will and originality. Since anything physical can be mental, that island can be your home. Turn off the electromagnetic waves being forced upon you, the countless invisible forces coming at you all the time. Find an island, turn inward, discover your true strength. 
yeah so that chapter man that chapter when i read that the first time in Staten Island it just felt so it felt surreal because I was going through a process where I had so much noise and so much so much chaos going on so many family members telling me what to do what I should do what I sh you know so many things going on and I just needed to to be alone and isolate myself so that I could figure this out and figure out my next step for my children and for myself um, and part of that was just being alone and just being able to hear myself think and figure things out and you can't do that when you're in the middle of you know hustle and bustle of <clears throat> you know any city life really so that um, that resonated with me that still resonates with me because I'm I think I'm I'm back at that point now where I kind of have to be a little isolated um, and it's you know it's just it's like if you are looking if you're looking for something if something is if something isn't right in your life if you read about like pe other people have gone through things right and if you think that you're the only one you're probably not like if you read about other people who have gone through it you'll find your way you know you'll find your answer all right love and light Peace everyone, it's Mala's mirror and I'm whispering because my children are asleep and I don't want to wake them for all hell will break loose because this is my alone time and my get my shit together time. Um, just wanted to share a text message that I got today from um, someone who I met about six months ago um, at a party and you know I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of creative people and wonderful artists and musicians and poets um, so you know I'm, I'm surrounded by them um, but this um, goddess she you know she didn't really say nice to meet you I'm a writer she was just kind of like, hey, nice to meet you, you know, we're in the same circle sort of thing. Um, and then she mentioned, you know, I, I hear when people, like, you have to, like, read between the lines or read between, you know, the, the words. And she mentioned something to the, to the fact that she writes or she used to write. And I said, oh, so you write. So let me, you know, I want to hear some of your, you know, I want to read some of your work. So she... You know, we exchanged numbers, and she sent me some stuff, and she's really good. She's really good. Um, and so, you know, my my follow-up question to her was, why aren't you, why aren't you sharing this with everyone? And I understand that, you know, a lot of artists don't like to share their work. Um, it's just for them, or it's, you know, it's at the whatever time they're making that work, it's for them. Um... But, you know, I'm kind of stubborn when it comes to art that I feel should enter the world and just not, not live in the space of the artist's mind or heart. Um, and if I can push them to do that, um, then I'm going to, even if they don't want me to and even if they, you know cuss me out because that's happened before um and i'm okay with that but she kind of said thank you you know politely and then never mentioned it again and we've seen each other since you know it's been like seven months and we've seen each other at events here and there um but today she sent me a text message just out of the blue and i'm just gonna read it to you um hey mala hope all is well i just wanted to say thank you Thanks for wanting to read my work and saying I should still be writing. Because honestly, since that, I have been, and I've shared a few things as you've seen. She means, you know, seen on Facebook and such. So thank you for being that push that you didn't know you were. And thank you for reminding me that I have a gift, whether I share it with people or not. Have a beautiful week. So, that made me happy because, um... She, if she sucked 
And if she if she was, you know, maybe kind of good or just, you know, still developing, but she's really good. She's she's an artist. She's a you know she's a poet, and she shares her work from her perspective. Um, and I I feel that there's so many other women that could benefit from her her experience and her words and I'm happy that she's you know pushing it out into the world even if it is a little bit at a time um, because that's important because if everyone kept their art to themselves then what the fuck would we have to inspire us what would we have to turn to when we need to turn to things um, so I, I, I was happy, I was happy that she sent that to me because it made me feel, it made me feel good that, um, that I, I said that to her because, um, like I said, I've been cussed out before and I've been, you know, told that I'm too pushy and, um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if you, if I think that you're, you can offer something in the term, in terms of, you know, art or, or music or spoken word or whatever it is, then I'm, I want, I want you to, to offer that, you know, to everyone. Wataguan Coffee Black. Thank you for stopping by my station and liking it. I hope you liked it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I can't. I'm not going to lie. I don't... I, checking checking Anchor sometimes feels like checking voicemail. Like my voice... Like a voice... Like an answering machine. And so I have to run through everything. So it's, you know... I don't really know what people like and don't like. I know I could look at the notifications, but I got mad kids. I don't have time to look at the notifications sometimes. So... Um, but thank you for stopping by and... Looking forward to your content and the funny good stuff that you have going on. And I hope you like my content too. Okay, love and light. And the chicken grease you spoke of earlier. Bye. Peace, everyone. This is Mala's Mara. So today was a long, grueling day. And when I have these long, grueling days, um, I like to listen to music to help me get through that. And one of the songs that I kind of dig is um, a song by Leonard Cohen called Hallelujah. And although I can listen to it on the radio or, you know, through an app, um, I like listening to my children sing to me. So um, I'm going to have them sing. So they're going to sing to me and they're going to sing to you. And hopefully you enjoy it. Um, it's it's more it's soothing to me when they do it. It's one of the soothing things that <laughs> they offer to me um, in the middle of you know in between them asking me for a thousand things. So this is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do ya? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lifts, the baffled king, composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight wove us through ya She tied you to her kitchen chair She broke your throne and she cut your hair And from me your lips she drew the hallelujah 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 Well baby, I've been here before I've seen this room and I've walked this floor I used to live alone before I knew ya 
I've seen your flag in the marble lodge And love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 Rusty Joyce here Hallelujah <laughs> that was great. I was gonna say that was expletive great. Um yeah. I just started smiling much uh listening to that. Positive zap to all of you. You and the and the kids. Peace. Hi Mala, my name is Skizza. I run um uh throwback radio. And I just wanted to tell you, the first thing I thought when I heard your voice was that you sound absolutely adorable and I love your voice. And I was like, I could totally listen to this all day long. And then you said that you're on here because you don't like your voice. I don't get it. Why not? I think you sound like it's easy on the ears. So it's like a breath of fresh air. So I, I hope you keep on updating your anchor station. Peace, Rusty. Thank you for that call in. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. The, the, my uh, my girls enjoyed it too. They they wanted to hear themselves over and over again. Um, so I'm glad you liked it. Um, I like your station. I like your music. I like your mashups. Um, rusty joints. That reminds me of an MC out of Brooklyn, Rusty Jooks, and he's um. He's a, he was affiliated with Sean Price and Duck Down Records, and um, that's what your name reminds me of. Um, so, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I favorited your station because you have good music. I hope you fix your hard drive and all your other, you know, technological stuff to um, continue to be able to do that. Because I enjoy that, and I appreciate that. So, um, thank you so much for that. Love and light. Later. Peace, peace, everyone. Mala's Mirror here. I um, read an article today that I found interesting, and I'm going to share it with you. It's about, it's about listening, and I think we all do that really well here on Anchor. Um, and I think, you know, it, it just reminded me of, of some of the things that I don't do when I say that I listen to someone um, and some of the things that I know people don't do when they say they listen to me um, and it's just a reminder to to really to really know what listening is and how it should be connected um, to our intention right with that person in that moment um, okay so it's by Andrew Fourth of all, and the article is called You Are Either Listening or You're Not. Listening is endangered in America today, hovering near the brink of extinction at this divided hour when it is needed most. It is not a skill that any of us is born with, nor is it a capacity that we inevitably acquire with age. It is a practice that demands an apprenticeship from which there isn't a single moment's rest. Like any form of communication, listening must be learned. And yet listening is not taught in America, at least not taught in the schools I attended. There seems to be an implicit assumption that students understood what listening was, why it mattered, and how to do it. Sure, I was taught the rudimentary basics in kindergarten, but after that I received no more formal training in this most subtle skill. As the years went by, from middle school to high school to college, there were no required classes that discussed the philosophy and practice of listening, and I came to believe that listening was either one of either two things. An onerous chore that I had to perform in order to stay within the realms of socially acceptable behavior, or a weapon I should use to my advantage. Something I had to do in order to dismantle the arguments of my peers with superior reasoning. I didn't discover the transformative power of real listening until I walked more than 4,000 miles across the highways of the United States with a sign on my backpack proclaiming that all I was doing was walking to listen. It was not in the classroom, but on the road, on foot, with thousands of different Americans that I received my unofficial training in this most rare and necessary skill. It was October 2011. 
I had just graduated from Middlebury College. I was 23 years old, unemployed, and uncertain about what I was supposed to do with my life. I also wanted to meet my people, Americans. Who were we? What were our stories? How did we all fit in together? Or did we? I didn't have much money, so I decided I'd just start walking and listening, asking for guidance from whomever I met. I hoped to meet as many people as possible, all different kinds of people, offline, face-to-face. I wanted to see each of them as worthy of my attention, each one a unique wellspring of experience that I could learn from if they were willing to share. I was going to walk and listen until it ran out of money or reached the Pacific Ocean, whichever came first. Listening begins with humility, I learned. The humility to ask an earnest question without assuming you already know the answer, and it is powered by authentic respect. Respect for the struggles and complexities of a person's life and for the ultimate value of that life. Value that remains undiminished by the abhorrent opinions that person may hold or even by the crimes they may have committed. Listening is audacious in this way, even unreasonable at times. It is to choose to love someone or at least remain committed to the work of trying to understand them, even when they don't give you any reason to. There was a man outside of New Orleans who gave me an opportunity to practice this kind of listening while I was walking across America. I was on the outskirts of the city at sundown when I heard him shout out to me from across the road. Hey, he sounded angry, so I kept walking. Hey, you, Walker. Feeling it would be more dangerous to ignore him, I crossed the road to go meet him. What are you doing? The man barked from his porch. I'm walking across America listening to people's stories, I said. I started outside of Philadelphia and I'm heading to California. Philadelphia, he cut me off. So you're a fucking Yankee? Who the fuck invited you down here? My heart whirled in my stomach. I balanced on a hairline precipice in my mind, an abyss of panic on both sides. All of my on-the-road training and listening kicked in, and I tried to look at the guy with love, that rare quality that can meet hatred without hating it in return, but I was scared. Okay, I'm going to continue this because I can see that my time is running out and I hate that. And I'm going to continue this on the next segment. Okay, continuation of you are either listening or you're not. Well, I said, no one invited me, but I didn't come here to start any problems. I'm just listening to people's stories and I have to find a safe place to camp out before it gets dark. I'll be moving on. I turned around and walked a few paces, my heart racing. The guy shouted again, hey, wait. I stopped and looked back, my body clenched. You, uh, you like bear? He asked. Before I could think about it, I said that I did. You, you want one? Sure, I said after a pause, wondering if this was suicide. He made me leave my backpack outside for fear I might pull a gun on him. We walked through his messy living room littered with cat toys. You're going to like this beer, he said begrudgingly, as if I were forcing him to do all this. He pulled out two bottles from the fridge. It's my favorite. He joined me at the kitchen table, lit a cigarette, and began to speak as if he'd been waiting to do so for years, or as if I were an old friend. He was telling me a story about how violent he used to be when he slipped in a quick detail that permanently changed the way I perceived him. I was hoping somebody would jump me that day because I wanted to kick somebody's ass, he said. I was pissed off because I had to bury my son. It was bizarre to feel both compassion and disgust at the same time. Suddenly I saw a reprehensible criminal and a grieving father. I couldn't help but wonder at the pain he must feel, or the pain he wouldn't let himself feel. The wound had no legitimizing effect whatsoever on his violence, but it did shock me with the reminder that there was a human beneath the hatred. Listening has a way of complicating any simplistic good and evil dichotomy in this way. When people entrusted me with their stories, their brokenness, their frailties and fallibilities, it made it impossible for me to hate them, even if I was so deeply disturbed by some of the things they believed or had done. And when I didn't hate them and asked them questions without malice, they could remain open, and it is in this openness that transformation becomes possible. Listening at times seems to contradict everything I learned in school. It's about forgetting yourself for a moment, letting go of your agendas, abandoning the need to prove anything or dominate the conversation or convert someone to your cause by showing them how wrong they are. It is instead simply and challengingly about witnessing someone. It is not a passive, appalling silence, the likes of which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. condemned. 
It is active, engaged, deeply concerned with the task of understanding how someone got to be the way they are and becoming trustworthy enough that they would be willing to tell you that story. Listening with judgment, ready to defend an attack, is not the kind of listening I'm talking about. That's critical thinking, argumentation, debate, important tools that most schools do a good job of teaching. What I'm talking about is listening, a commitment to exploring and building connection with others based on a shared humanity, even when that kind of connection seems impossible. I had to walk across America to learn how to listen. Let's make it easy on the rest of our youth. How would our schools transform if listening became a part of their core curricula? And what about the young ones who grew up without ever learning this indispensable discipline, who became the adults that are now governing America? How would the whole country change if they too were required to undergo remedial education in listening? We shouldn't wait for them to acquiesce, nor should we wait for our schools to revamp their programming. It would take too long, and there's no time to waste because listening is sorely needed now. Each of us must apprentice ourselves to this practice, and the practice is never ending. You are either listening or you're not. Which is it? Yeah, so I thought that the, this article was interesting, and um, I think it, you know, it's a good reminder for all of us. Um, for myself, I know it is. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes it's it's difficult to listen to someone when you know you have a thousand things you want to say, and you just you just want them to hurry up and talk so you can get to your point. And um, you know, the part of that real connection and that real um, humanness about us and remembering the human in all of us is to be able to say let me let me just hush and let me listen to this person in front of me um, even as they say things that I may or may not agree with let me let me be present with them and just hear them um, and I think that's important that's important that's an important life skill that it's not taught. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Love and light. Okay, so I'm continuing to read The Tao of Wu by the Riza. And I'm actually reading it to my monkeys. So they're enjoying it too. Um, what I'm going to read now is pretty short. So um, it was something that I highlighted the first time I read it. And and sometimes, you know, I'm so glad I, I have my highlighter because I... I forget, sometimes I forget things, and I'm so glad that I could have, have these reminders. Okay, so the RZA says, They say there's a dark spot in your heart, a tiny black vacuum that's the size of the tip of a needle. I believe that tiny space is where God is located inside you. That tiny dark spot is a piece of space trapped in our body, something that connects us to the universe and one another. Physics says that nature abhors a vacuum. Whether it's true wisdom or ego, something is going to fill that vacuum in your heart. You'll find out what it is as you go through life. If you're a young man and have a lot of heart, that means you have courage. But then you learn the other meaning of heart, which is love. At first, love is a vacuum that takes courage from your heart. You're scared around a woman you love. You're not the same tough dude, the same thug. At first, love weakens you, but soon it makes you strong in ways you couldn't imagine. Love is the first two steps, knowledge and wisdom coming together. It's one and two. Put them together, you get twelve, and the twelfth letter in the alphabet is L, which stands for love. If wisdom is like water, so is love. It dissolves you, then rebuilds you stronger. It's like when you have your first child. You've never felt weaker in your life. Your love for that child makes you vulnerable, but it also makes you stronger because you'll do anything to protect that child. So love, like wisdom, dissolves you and then resolves you. It breaks down your ego and puts you back together again, properly. When love doesn't find its way into your heart, you die. So there was talks about the Prophet Muhammad many times in this book in the Tao of Wu, um, and I'm going to read some portions of it. The point is, sometimes you have to be called more than once. The angel called the Prophet Muhammad saying, read. 
Muhammad was illiterate and said, I can't read. Read, the angel said again. I can't read, Muhammad said. Then the angel said, in the name of Allah who created man from a drop of blood, read. And it was the third time that he felt it. Forces in the world will tell you you're a victim of your family, your race, your past, your history. Don't believe them. They don't know you. Look inside and find your true self. It's there. Give it a name. Fast for a few days. Don't have a lot of people around. Be alone and quiet. You'll start to hear yourself, feel yourself. You'll hear from the you that's not the you your family, society, or history created. You'll hear from the you that's beneath that, the one that's always there with you, the you that contains the God particle. Take time. This country fills up every second of your day with noise. That's why they call this place Babylon, the great harlot, the great deceiver, because it keeps us away from our true selves. So do the one thing this culture tries hard not to let you do. Look inside yourself. Be by yourself. Yell out asking God for help until you're almost crying. Let all those chemicals inside you come rushing up to your brain and ask for whatever you're looking for. This is prayer. It's opening your heart. Martial arts are a form of prayer. They're why Damo taught the monks Kung Fu. The monks were getting tired and sleepy and couldn't pray properly. So Damu taught them certain postures to strengthen their bodies. Same goes with the Muslims. They weren't in shape. Their diet was bad. They weren't in good condition to pray. So the Prophet taught them how to do Salat, the Islamic prayer rituals that are basically martial arts. In fact, one long form actually looks like the Kung Fu style sleeping Lohan. Find a form of prayer and do it to enhance your life, build up your chi, to attract positivity. Studying lessons and reading great religious books is an excellent form of prayer. But whichever you choose, don't pray to have something pop up under your Christmas tree. Pray to put yourself in harmony with God. Do that and your prayers will be answered. Hi Mala, this is V on here I'm known as Royal Hermit and I just wanted to encourage you I hope this isn't super loud I've got like an earpiece in but anyway um, as far as trying to get through your days and nights I just want you to keep it up and keep doing good and I think you'll really like it here all right catch you later peace everyone this is Mala's mirror it's July 14th it's Friday evening I just came home from work, the children are at their father's, and I can decompress and relax. So I'm grateful for that because I need that. It's been a long week. And I want to talk about a couple things that's been on my mind. I'm not really into sports, and I know that there was, you know, that whole big uh, boxing thing with Mayweather and that other Connor, Cornell, I don't know, whoever guy. And I'm, the only reason I'm into sports is I think, you know, <laughs> I think sports is a distraction, right? I, that's how I feel. But I have a son, and my son loves sports, and I love my son. So whatever he is involved with, he teaches me. And, I'm, you know, as much as I try to guide him, he guides me <laughs> most of the days. Um, so he teaches me a lot with, you know, he loves football and basketball and cricket and he, he likes to go into the racetrack and, you know, learn about the horses and um, soccer. He, so he's into everything. Um, so, you know, we, I heard about the, the whole, you know, I guess, I don't know what they had um, yesterday. Some sort of, you know, they were doing this back and forth sort of thing and talking crap. About each other and I guess that's what you do before a fight and it's for show and okay but you know I firmly believe that words have meaning and you know whether it's for show or whether it's a joke a lot of truth is said in jest and for show and there's certain things that you say and there's certain things you don't say and when you say these things you can't really take them back because it's already been said and you kind of already stated you know how you feel 
um and uh you know those comments that he made like you can't you can't look you can't look at a black man in this country and say and call him a boy i mean you you know what the connotation is and if you choose to not uh, appreciate that and respect that and understand where that comes from um then you are just as part as you know as anyone else as this ad- <laughs> this administration um you're just as much a part of the the imperialist i'm going to say it right the imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy um so it is what it is so i'm going to read you a couple of quotes from one of my favorite favorite feminists her name is bell hooks and i love her and she is a black feminist revolutionary and she's she's written a couple books so she's you know she knows she knows what she's doing okay so here's the first this is from her book all about love new visions The wounded child inside many males is a boy who, when he first spoke his truths, was silenced by paternal sadism, by a patriarchal world that did not want him to claim his true feelings. The wounded child inside many females is a girl who was taught from early childhood that she must become something other than herself, deny her true feelings in order to attract and please others. When men and women punish each other for truth-telling, we reinforce the notion that lies are better. To be loving, we willingly hear the other's truth, and most important, we affirm that value of truth-telling. Lies may make people feel better, but they do not help them know love. Visionary feminism is a wise and loving politics. It is rooted in the love of male and female being, refusing to privilege one over the other. The soul of feminist politics is the commitment to ending patriarchal domination of women and men, girls and boys. Love cannot exist in any relationship that is based on domination and coercion. Males cannot love themselves in patriarchal culture if their very self-definition relies on submission to patriarchal rules. When men embrace feminist thinking and practice, which emphasizes the value of mutual growth and self-actualization in all relationships, their emotional well-being will be enhanced. A genuine feminist politic always brings us from bondage to freedom, from lovelessness to loving. I love Bell Hooks. I mean, if you want to read up, she has she has a, a couple of books. Um, Teaching to Transgress is one of the better ones. Um, but she's all, you know, she's all over the place. She's on YouTube. You can listen to her lectures. I'm going to do another segment on her because I just love her. Okay, so here's a couple of other quotes from Bell Hooks, just to give you an idea of how she writes and uh, what she talks about, um, and it's not just fe- it's not feminism, but it's about it's about love. It's about loving and human behavior and human connection, and how politics and racism and intersectionality with people of color matter, and how that you know is woven through everything. So here's some um, here's some of her other stuff. As all advocates of feminist politics know, most people do not understand sexism, or if they do, they think it is not a problem. Masses of people think that feminism is always and only about women seeking to be equal to men. And a huge majority of these folks think feminism is anti-male. Their misunderstanding of feminist politics reflects the reality that most folks learn about feminism from patriarchal mass media. All too often, women believe it is a sign of commitment, an expression of love, to endure unkindness or cruelty, to forgive and forget. In actuality, when we love rightly, we know that the healthy, loving response to cruelty and abuse is putting ourselves out of harm's way. Often men who have been emotionally neglected and abused as children by dominating mothers bond with assertive women, only to have their childhood feelings of being engulfed surface. While they could not smash their mommy and still receive love, they find that they can engage in intimate violence with partners who respond to their acting out by trying harder to connect with them emotionally, hoping that the love offered in the present will heal the wounds of the past. If only one party in the relationship is working to create love, to create the space of emotional connection, the dominator model remains in place and the relationship just becomes a site for continuous power struggle. 
usually adult males who are unable to make emotional connections with the women they choose to be intimate with are frozen in time unable to allow themselves to love for fear that the loved one will abandon them if the first woman they passionately loved the mother was not true to her bond of love then how can they trust that their partner will be true to love often in their adult relationships these men act out again and again to test their partner's love while the rejected adolescent boy imagines that he can no longer receive his mother's love because he is not worthy as a grown man he may act out in ways that are unworthy and yet demand of the woman in his life that she offer him unconditional love this testing does not heal the wound of the past it merely reenacts it for ultimately the woman will become weary of being tested and end the relationship thus reenacting the abandonment this drama confirms for many men that they cannot put their trust in love they decide that it is better to put their faith in being powerful in being dominant knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving when we can be alone we can be with others without using them as a means of escape for me forgiveness and compassion are always linked how do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed to return to love to get the love we always wanted but never had to to have a love we want but are not prepared to give we seek romantic relationships we believe that these relationships more than any other will rescue and redeem us true love does have the power to redeem but only if we are ready for redemption love saves us only if we want to be saved but many of us seek community solely to escape the fear of being alone knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving when we can be alone we can be with others without using them as a means of escape so if anyone has any comments um, about those quotes or any thoughts I would appreciate um, some feedback um, on what you think about it I have a couple more things I want to talk about but I'll I'll save that for later on cuz I'm relaxing and I'm home and I have time so all right I'll see y'all later love and light miles mirror I'm back and I am much more relaxed than I was before um, and I got back on anchor and I heard Skizza's <laughs> Skizza's question about period sex and um, if if it was a year and a because she was you know obviously asking for a friend uh, and my response was an emphatic yeah like a little John yeah and I said that I would talk about I guess you know the divine what divine feminine energy really means um, but there's with respect to you know a women's menstrual cycle and just about the energy that happens around that time so I'm gonna be talking about periods and and if the word period or or menstrual cycle or blood skeeves you out then <laughs> you need to grow up be because that's part of that's part of the life cycle right but what I'll say for women who have their period at least in the Hindu religion I know throughout various religions there are different um, understandings of what a woman is when she has her period or how she's to how she's to be handled <laughs> um, in the Hindu religion if a woman has her period she's considered unclean she's considered not pure those are the labels that um, are used and little girls are taught that from the time that they you know have their period and and they are restricted or they're not allowed to partake in certain religious ceremonies um, which they otherwise would have been able to you know um, and it just sort of com not sort of completely cast them aside uh, and makes them feel as if they are not enough and even during uh, like a marriage ceremony if you're getting married if you're a Hindu woman you're getting married there are rituals that you're supposed to participate in the whole family gets involved everyone has to participate but though but the religious portion of it that the wife has to do is you know is altered there's like an alternate ceremony that's done 
if she has her period because she can't do the you know the pure ceremony because she's not pure she's not pure for that day or whatever it is uh, so there's a lot of stigma attached to that and you know it's it's ridden with patriarchy so I found something on the interwebs that talks about divine feminine energy and I'm going to read it to you because as we all know everything on the interwebs is true okay here we go one of the most important ancient rituals was preparing a drink of immortality made from menstrual blood which is full of healing stem cells which can actually activate our cellular capacity to regenerate and transport us to endocrine states of rapture or in a spiritual sense open us up to the frequency of love and eternal life transporting us to another dimension called heaven paradise nirvana women would and should still pour their blood onto the earth at this time with the stated intention of calling the energies of the goddesses and helpful ancestors to the planet to end violence and affect the healing of all who would perpetuate violent acts and all who are suffering as a result of violence so the word shakti means power so a shakti woman is a powerful woman who understands that that sacred blood connotation and what it means um, for women at that time um, and it, you know it's it's not it's something to be celebrated it's something to be find joy in as much as <laughs> I know every woman or most women don't really find joy at that time but um, when you think about it and you kind of reflect on it a little bit it helps you it helps you when it when it does happen when you do have your period and it's it's you know not as comfortable for you but you know what helps you know what helps with feeling comfortable <laughs> period sex <laughs> okay love and light bye